2 Samuel chapter 18, I like to preach a message entitled, What If? What If? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Bible, for the Word of God. Thank you that you did not leave us without a word. You sent your Son, the living Word, to become the Word in flesh. But you also gave us the written Word that was orchestrated and overseen by your Holy Spirit. And you preserved it through copies and through centuries so that we could be here today with the Bible in various translations in our hands. Thank you, Lord, for this love letter that centers on your son, Jesus. He's in the Old Testament. He's in the New Testament, all the more that he may be in our lives. So thank you, Lord, that this church was built on Jesus. It's still built on Jesus. And we pray thanking you for the living stones that are in this body that are being built together upon the rock. Red stones, brown stones, yellow stones, rich stones, low-income stones, uh, stones from this denomination, stones from this background. We're all together because of Jesus. Thank you again for another taste of heaven. And we know that to whom much is given, much is required. So, Lord, we will continue to march for you until we can't march anymore. Thank you, Lord, for the shoulders on which we stand. Thank you, Lord, for the people who shed their blood uh, people who marched and died and voted so the Strong Tower Bible Church could be a reality because over a generation ago, this kind of church could not and would not exist. But thank you, God, that we're here today because of what our ancestors have done. Help me to honor you and to preach the Bible well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 18. What if? Today we're going to look at two men. We're going to observe the life of two men. They were in the same army, the army of Judah. They had the same enemy, a man by the name of Absalom. They had the same supervisor or commanding officer, and his name was Joab. These two men had the same job. They were messengers. And in that day, in order to spread a message from one city to the next, heralds would take the message and run by foot to the next place and proclaim the message. Which is why the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good tidings and good news. Because messengers were known primarily for bringing good news. And so these men were both messengers, which meant that they had similar abilities, which meant that they could run and run long distances. In this text, they're carrying the same message, which is victory, and they're running to the same recipient, King David. So with all that they had in common, they were with the same army, they had the same enemy, the same supervisor, the same job, the same abilities, the same message, and the same recipient. However, they were treated differently because they didn't have the same ethnicity. I know we don't think these things are in the Bible, but I'm going to show you today that this thing with racial difference didn't begin in America. It began because of man's hearts have fallen away from God. 
And people will use whatever they can over and against someone in order to take advantage over them, even ethnicity or what we would call today race or skin color. So before we talk about these two men, and one man's name is Ahamaz, the other is simply called the Cushite or the Ethiopian or the African. I got to give you a little background before we get into 2 Samuel 18. Absalom is one of King David's sons. Absalom killed one of his brothers named Amnon because Amnon had raped his stepsister Tamar. So Absalom killed him and David put Absalom out of Jerusalem, put him on exile. Eventually, Joab petitioned for Absalom to come back and Absalom comes back to town. But David says he'll, he can come back, but he can't see my face. And so there's still this tension between father and son, but Absalom sits at the gate and he begins to be a judge for the people of Israel who can't go and see King David because maybe the king is too busy or Absalom is so crafty that he says, come and talk to me. So he ends up winning the people over to himself in a popular poll, if you will. And so as his popularity begins to swell, he forms a revolt against his father. And rather than fighting against his son, the Bible says that King David chose to flee Jerusalem and ultimately cross over the Jordan River, and he left out barefoot. He left a few people behind, but he ended up fleeing and going back to the wilderness that he knew so well while running from Saul before he became king. And now he's going to be running from his son Absalom, who has staged a revolt against his father. And when Joab forms the army to go out and fight against Absalom and his army, David says to Joab and the other two commanders of his army, he says, please spare the life of my son, Absalom. So as you take things back, please spare his life. And the Bible says that David said this in front of everyone. Everyone heard, treat Absalom fairly and kindly. Don't kill him. But Joab was a murderer. Joab was a scoundrel. And the Bible talks about how there was a fight between the house of David and the house of Absalom. And they fought out in the woods. And the woods were killing more people that day than soldiers killed one another. It was a tough terrain to fight on. And the Bible says that Absalom tried to get away on his mule because kings rode mules. But his head got stuck in some branches. You remember the story. Because he had such long, thick hair. And he got caught and the donkey kept riding and he was there suspended between heaven and earth, hanging there. One of the soldiers went back and told Joab, I've seen Absalom. He, he's hanging in the woods. Joab said, why didn't you kill him? The young soldier said, because the king said, don't touch my son, let him live. And Joab said, mm, I would have given you a reward had you killed him. And so Joab went into the woods and saw Absalom still suspended, hanging by his neck. And he put three javelins in his heart. And then his ten armor bearers also struck Absalom down, took his body, threw it in a ditch, put rocks over it. So this is where we are. 
when we come to chapter 18 because now somebody's got to go and deliver the word to King David. Not only that victory has been won, but your son has been killed. So begin with me at verse 19 of chapter 18. Then Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, said, to, said again to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, Why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? So on this first point, I want you to see the treatment of the two men, of Ahamaz, the Hebrew, and of the Cushite, who was also an African. Let's see their treatment. Well, just plain observation of the text, we know Ahamaz's name. It's listed here, but we don't know the name of the Cushite. And when you know someone's name, you're, you're ascribing value them. So what we see already is that there is a value ascribed to the Hebrew that is not ascribed to the African. Because had value been ascribed to him, we would know what his name is. But he's nameless. But what we do know, we know his ethnicity. In other words, we know his skin color. We know his race. Why? Because although we don't know his name, over eight, or rather eight times in this text, eight times, we're told that he is a Cushite. He's a Cushite. He's a Cushite. He's a black man. He's a black man. He's a black man. So therefore, his identity is inextricably bound to his skin color, to where he comes from, his ethnicity, or what we would call today race. We know Ahamaz's father's name. He is the son of Zadok. Zadok was one of the priests under David. And conversely, we don't know the Cushite's father's name. So once again, when, when you know who your father is and who your father's father is, not only is there value there, but there's power there. there there's again a great sense of identity. But if all we know about you is that you're African, we don't even know who your father is. You're just in the army. Oh, the comparisons continue on. Listen to this. Don't turn me off or change the station. Ahamaz could dialogue with Joab, his supervisor. You have to read the text later when you go home to see what I'm talking about. Because Ahamaz could talk freely with his supervisor, with his commanding officer. But you see the Cushite doing no such thing. He did not have the power to dialogue with Joab. And with Ahamaz, he could ask for a specific job. Let me do this. That's called privilege. 
That's called power. You don't see the Cushite dialoguing with Joab or asking for a certain job. He could only receive the job that was given to him. And then Joab offers Ahamaz a safer job. You don't want this job. I'll give you a better job. You're not going to run today. You'll run another day. There's no news to carry today because there's bad news. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to give the Cushite not the safer job, but the more dangerous job. You know why we're giving him the more dangerous job? Because King David is known to kill foreign messengers. In the earlier portions of 2 Samuel chapter 1, an Amalekite had come to David saying that Saul had died on the battlefield. And he fabricates on the story because Saul fell on his sword. But the Amalekite said, I stood over him and gave him his wishes. He said to take him out of his misery since he was dying. So I killed him, took his crown, and David, I am bringing it to you. David and his guys mourned all day. Then David came back and said, wait a minute now, hold on. Where, where did you say you came from? He says, I'm an Amalekite, which is one of the enemies of the people of God. And he said, um, what did you do? I struck the king down. David said, weren't you afraid to reach your hand out against God's anointed? And he commanded one of his young soldiers to strike the Amalekite down. And David said, because of what you've done, you're reaping this return. Because you've touched God's anointed. This man died for a lie. All they had to do was tell the truth. So David has a reputation. He will kill you if he doesn't like the news, especially if you're a foreigner. So watch Joab, the supervisor. I'm not sending one of my own ethnicity. I'm going to send this Cushite there with bad news because I really don't care if he gets killed. I'm not reading into the text. I believe I'm interpreting well from the text what's going on here, that the Cushite was seen as expendable. But the Hebrew man was protected. You see, Ahamaz was subordinate to Joab, but he was still an equal to Joab, which, which meant he could talk to him. Now, the Cushite was subordinate to Joab, but you don't see him talking with Joab because he was not viewed as an equal. Ahamaz was protected and seen as valuable, whereas the Cushite was not protected and he was seen as less valuable and expendable. So just a plain reading of the text, who had more advantages? Ahamaz or the Cushite? Who had more support from the system? Ahamaz or the Cushite? Who had more privileges? Do you think Hebrew privilege based on this text was a reality? Absolutely it was. So if there's such a thing as Hebrew privilege, there is such a thing today as white privilege. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but for some people, those are fighting words. You can flow and be talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus, but until you start hitting some of the social ills of today and you use modern terminology like white privilege, I've known white people to shut me down. And here's the thing about 
white privilege. No one is saying that white people have not had to work hard. Nobody's saying that. We know you work hard, just like people of color, minorities work hard. But one thing we do know, you're not being judged in this country by your skin, making it harder to get to where you need to go. The black people clap. And... Uh, Okay. Amen. There's some white folk clapping. Thank you. So it's real. We won't get well if we don't admit sicknesses in the environment, with the culture. We're Christians. We're people of truth. So the Bible speaks of these things. There's nothing new under the sun. It happens. So it could be argued that personal preference by someone in power like Joab led to institutional injustice. So he felt a certain way about the African. And it showed up in how the African was treated within the system. See, a lot of times we want to talk about prejudice and, and we want to talk about racism but, and we want to keep it personal. I am not a racist because I love black people, I love native people, I love white people and all this stuff. I, I, I'm not a racist. And we keep it personal on an individual level, but we never get over to the fact that personal prejudice leads to institutional racism. Because there are people who sit in charge over institutions who have hearts that are not right towards all of God's children. And those things play into how laws are made, how laws are interpreted and enacted into society. So we just can't stay individual. We also got to recognize institutionally or systemically there are some things built into the fabric of certain countries and our country is no different as we're going to see in a moment that doesn't make the playing field level. So I go to the second point, the pathway of the two men. Look at verse 23. But whatever happens, Ahamaz said, let me run so he can talk to his supervisor. Let, let me do this. All the Kushite could do was bow and run. He couldn't dialogue. So here's power. I can talk to my su superior because he's Hebrew like I am. And so Ahab or Johab said to him, run. Then Ahamaz ran by way of the plain and outran the Kushite. So the pathway. The Kushite starts off running first. He's an Ethiopian. And when you look at like the Olympics, and when Ethiopia is in the long distance, there are a few people that can keep up with Ethiopians. But somehow in the text, the Ethiopian starts off first, the Hebrew man starts off afterwards. And in a moment we're going to read, the Hebrew man will get to the king before the African does. How are you going to catch a brother be the brother that got a head start on you in a foot race. I, I don't know unless you had a shortcut. Because the Bible says that Ahamaz ran by way of the plane, implying the African didn't run that way. What is a plane? It is a smooth parcel of land with very few encumbrances. A plane, it's straight. And so if the Kushite didn't run on that stretch, what did he run on? 
Again, we can imply from the text that he went a more arduous way. He, maybe he went a mountainous way. Maybe the way he went was longer and it had more obstructions in the pathway, which allowed the Hebrew to get there before him. And so the Bible lets us know that the route that Ahamaz took, the Cushite didn't take because maybe he didn't know about that. So maybe there was some inside knowledge between the people group of the Hebrews that they didn't share with the African folks. But I thought we were in the same army. Uh, yeah, but you're not going to get this information because we still see you as other, not really as a brother. So although the path was harder and maybe even longer, black people, listen to this, because I come down on both sides. I'm an equal opportunity preacher. White folks are like, please say something to the black folk. Please. What I love about the Kushite, he kept running. He didn't make excuses. He didn't complain about, nobody told me about the shortcut. He didn't say, man, it's harder going this way. It's harder running through these things. He kept running. Was he victimized? Sure. But was he a victim? No. Negroes, I need you to hear that. There's victimization in the systems. But don't be a victim. If you know Jesus, you're more than a conqueror. If you know Jesus, God in one man is a majority. And God allows certain things to happen. And he knew that you were strong enough to handle it if you put your trust in him and keep running. Black folk keep running. Not to King David, but to King Jesus. I know it's unfair because my people started running in 1865 after 246 years of slavery in this country. We started running the race with no resources. We were set free and we weren't given 40 acres and a mule. But yet we were told to blend in and compete and dwell in the midst of folk, many of whom were still mad and burying their dead, who still see us as cursed and less than human. And we're dropped off, millions of us, and we're told to compete and be equal in the race. No resources. Where, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? How are we going to make it? We have no land. But somehow, some way, God made a way for my people. But we're not so spiritual that we can't look at the fact that there was little to no support from the government or the church. Church was the one that was instigating many of these beliefs that the government operated under. So thankfully, reconstruction started. They say we got to rebuild the infrastructure of our nation and let's be intentional to empower people of color. That's why when you read your history books, you see many people of color, black people, occupying political seats. But there were people who said, wait a minute now, they're they, they moving too fast. We got to stop the system and, and, and make it work against them. So when Reconstruction stopped, progress stopped. And when Reconstruction stopped, the terror era began. So we got to run through terror now. Because there was a group that formed in Pulaski, Tennessee, with Nathan Bedford Forrest as the first grand wizard. 
who worked with the police because many of them were police. And then there were slave codes put on blacks and the black codes, literacy tests. And they could grab black people and lock them up, put them in part in chain game. We had to go through all of this. Then when the 13th Amendment comes and, and slavery is abolished, but it opens the door for the prison industrial complex. And prison becomes the new form of enslavement. And it's been that way ever since 1865. And so there's this school to prison pipeline that's still happening today because people don't see the value of black skin and black men. We're only good to be locked up. And last week when I was at the Urban League with Elder Clifton, he's the, 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 the president of the Urban League in Nashville, and he had a seminar and he brought in people who had been locked up, who had been in the system that is called the Department of Corrections, but it doesn't seem like they really want to help anybody get corrected. It seems like it's just the Department of Punishment. And I learned that not only are there privately owned prisons, I already knew that, I already knew that they start building prisons based on test scores of low-income kids in black communities. So if the first and second grade test scores aren't well, because the schools in those communities aren't well, then they start building prisons based on test scores of black kids. I knew that. But what I didn't know is that they charge prisoners while they're locked up. They give them these jobs and give them 17 cents a day. But yet, their bed may cost 30 cents a day. They got to pay for that bed. It's a racket. Then the family got to put money on books so they can get just some basic items. So people are making money because the love of money is still the root to all kinds of evil. So people can get out of jail in debt to the jail. That's systemic racism. That's targeted primarily against people without power. People of color. And you just can't pray that away. You got to vote that away. You got to demonstrate that away. You got to. And why is it when the 15th Amendment comes and black people are given the right to vote? But we had to run through these things called poll taxes. And we had to run through these things called literacy tests, knowing that many of us still could not read. But if you want to vote, you got to be able to read this and you got to pay that. So therefore, they were stymieing the black vote, suppressing the black vote, which is why there had to be a Voting Rights Act in the 60s. Because although the Constitution said we could vote on the local level, they cut us off. Because the spirit of white supremacy doesn't die when a war ends. That's why Brian Steven could, Stevenson could say, Slavery didn't end in 1865, it just evolved. So we're running through, and even today, there's still voter suppression. So we're running through all of these potholes. And then here comes Jim Crow after the terror era, and our brothers and sisters are lynched by the thousands. Very little repercussions on the perpetrators. Then we enter into legalized separate segregation, supposedly separate but equal, but it was anything but equal. And then coming through that, 
We had to migrate from the south to the north. But guess where we could live? In slums and ghettos. We couldn't own homes because the banks wouldn't lend to us. So there was a thing called redlining that said, this is where the black people, we're going to draw this red line circle. This is where the black community is. And over here you have substandard housing because no one wants to live next door to a Negro. No one is going to lend a Negro money. So how do you develop wealth in this country? By getting a house. So why is there still this wealth gap between whites and blacks in America? Because the system is intentionally designed in that way. But black people keep running. And when we break through, we may be the exception, but we're not the rule because there's a lot of us that hadn't broke through. And if you break through, don't you forget where you came from. So he had to run. He had to run. He kept running. He kept running. And finally, look at the message of the two men. I won't hit it all. The light is flashing. Verse 24. Now David was sitting between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there is another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahamaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, uh, he, he's a good man and comes with good news. So Ahamaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king. Is this young man, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahamaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. That's a lie. He lied. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came and the Cushite said, there is good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. In other words, he's dead. So Ahamaz lied to the king. He intentionally left some things out while the Cushite told King David the whole truth. Ahamaz gave a safe message to King David, while the Cushite gave a dangerous message to King David. Because when you tell the truth, the truth is dangerous, especially to someone who kills people when he doesn't like the news he hears. I just got to park here parenthetically for one moment. Why is it that when it's time in this country to speak the truth? about what happened in this nation. That some of my, not all of my, but some of my white brothers of the clergy have selective amnesia 
and become conveniently quiet about the tough parts of history that make their own people look bad. And they leave it to the Cushites, the Africans, people like me, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Because they know there's a cost to pay if I tell the truth. But we'll let this expendable one tell the truth. Because when a black man tells the truth, he can get killed. When anybody tells the truth, they can get killed. Especially black men. And history shows us that. But I'm like, where is the courage in my white preachers who all of a sudden, they need me to tell them everything. As if they can't Google or read a book. That was a punk move by Ahamaz. That was a punk move. And when white preachers don't preach the whole council, when white preachers act like history never happened and it doesn't matter today, it's a punk move. And we got some black preachers who are in white face who do the same thing. All right, I know y'all want to go eat. I'm going to let y'all go. But I'm tired, man. I'm tired of, come on, Ahamaz, speak up. All right, how do you apply this message? All right, Pastor. Man, okay, how, how do we apply this? Well, if you are over people like Joab, you, you've got power and you've got a diverse team, use your power to help all people and not just your own people. The Bible talks about unjust scales are an abomination to the Lord. So if you have power, balance the scales out. Don't keep tipping them in the favor of the privileged. Balance them out. Be intentional. I might lose my job. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to lose your life. So what? It's always about the money. It's always about the money. As if the silver and gold is not God's. That's why a lot of them white preachers won't speak out. If you are a messenger like Ahamaz, don't be selectively silent or conveniently quiet. You tell the whole truth, even if it costs you. And if you're being mistreated like the Cushite, keep on running and do so with excellence. Do not develop a victim's mentality. But what if? I told you this message is called what if? What if, what if, what if these two men had run together? Mm, help me, Lord. What if the Hebrew and the African ran together as opposed to running separately, running alone? Because the messengers did run together. It's not unheard of. In the earlier chapters of 2 Samuel, Ahamaz ran with Jonadab. They ran together. So why couldn't these two men run together? Joshua chapter 2, two spies were sent into the land together. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. When Jesus sent the disciples out in Mark chapter 6, he sent them out two by two. We need some folk to run together. What if Billy Graham had really ran with Martin Luther King? What if things would be a lot better and less divided today? Last Thursday, as I told you, I'm at the Capitol Commission. 
didn't even know I was supposed to speak. I'm going there to listen. But my white homeboy put my name on the docket to speak. I said, yeah, I'll speak, but you're speaking too. And you going first. We ran together. We stood up together against racism together. So it just wasn't a black thing. No, it's a righteous thing. Yes, we're standing up together. It's more powerful when we stand together. And we don't need white folks to only go to black churches and condemn racism. We need white preachers to preach and condemn racism in white churches to white audiences. Yeah, but we got to do it together. And this Thursday, as part of the Carnton Plantation Lecture Series, your pastor is going to share the podium with a white man named Eric Jacobson, part of the fuller story. And we're going to discuss slavery, the Civil War, and all of that stuff together. Because something happens when a black man and a white man go together. Something happens when that happens. So we got to keep running together as a church. We cannot get weary in well-doing. Oh, I heard an old preacher say, you know, if you send a man up to a tree and he shakes the tree, he hits the tree, something's going to come out of that tree. But if two men walk up to the same tree and shake that tree together, there's a whole lot more fruit that's going to come out of that tree as opposed to one man doing it by himself. I just wonder if there are any tree shakers in here that will stand with your pastor and shake the trees of injustice and shake the trees of racism and shake the trees of mistreatment towards people so that we can see some fruit come and some things change but I can't shake it by myself and you can't shake it by yourself we must shake things up together if you want to eat stand to your feet <laughs> amen I hope they're ready there oh there's another song there is another song isn't that another song there's another song. Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do y'all want this other song? All right. Don't lie. Yes. Here you go, young brother. Yes, indeed. What if, Lord, help us, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. Keep doing it, Lord. I told that commission, I said, I pastor one of the few truly multiracial churches in this community. So I have a right to be here to speak on behalf of what's going on. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. It's time. It's time. I want my children seeing a better day. They have seen a better day than what their parents and grandparents have seen. But there's still so much more to do. And it's better when we go together. I know we got something that's going, thank you, Jesus. Don't make me shout now. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to shout with some chicken in my hand in a minute. Thank you, Lord.
God for Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful time together. And we thank you that as the church, that we are overcomers, each and every one of us, because of who we are in Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We pray that we will have a beautiful time of fellowship together as we eat and break bread together. So, Lord God, as we depart from this place, never from your presence, God, may you be glorified and exalted in our actions, our words, and our deeds. Be exalted and lifted up, almighty God. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.